All righty, we're back. This is attorney Steve Levick, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO, answering your questions, giving out advice. And we were, we talked a little bit about appeals. Then we talked a little bit about probate. And now we want to talk a little bit about what happens if you're unhappy with the decision of the probate court. And there was a recent case. Um, so every lawyer, most lawyers in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, or Connecticut, there's a we get a newspaper. Like a lot of a lot of people get like a Providence Journal or different types of newspapers. And our newspaper is called the Rhode Island Lawyers Weekly in Rhode Island. And Massachusetts has Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly. But what they do is they take recent decisions and they publish them. And that is a great benefit because you read it every week and every now and then something pops up that says, this could help this case that I'm working on. You know, this is a recent decision on this particular case. We got to get this. We should use this case. Well, this case had to do with, well, this is what happens. A lot of times folks want to argue that maybe mom was manipulated or dad was manipulated to signing the document, or maybe mom and dad didn't have the mental capacity to sign the document, which could be a will, right? And generally this arises because a will is made on somebody's deathbed, uh, will is made, and when that will is made, the document um, that once somebody is inevitably getting shortchanged, right? And and they feel as if, hey, look, why is this happening? Why did this happen? Because clearly uh, Bobby took clear advantage of mom and had her sign this will. So now you go to probate court and Bobby takes that will to probate court. And that's what happened in this particular case. It was a recent case in our Rhode Island Lawyers Weekly. And it, they took the will to Cranston Probate Court. And the Cranston Probate Court said, yes, uh, the will is okay. So, you know, Sally didn't like that decision. So, Jacqueline, what did Sally do? Her next step was to do what? To appeal the decision. Okay. Where did she appeal the decision to? To Superior Court. Okay. So that's the next court, right? Mm-hmm. All right, and then she takes it up to Superior Court and Bobby's saying, no, mom was fine. Sally's saying, no, mom wasn't fine when she signed it. And this is the interesting fact. So I, I guess when it boils down to whether or not somebody had the capacity to actually sign a will, Capacity means that you understood what you were signing and you appeared to be of sound mind. Um, the court, and this opinion was written by Judge Lanfear. He's a Rhode Island Superior Court judge. I've been before Judge Lanfear many, many, many times. He's a well-learned judge and always has um, a lot of insight in his opinions. And his opinion was published in the Rhode Island Lawyers Weekly on this issue. And they have in quotes what Judge Lanfear wrote pertaining to um, what he was looking at to determine if mom had the, the, the capacity to sign the will. So Jacqueline, why don't we start right here? What does this say? While the court does not, so, does not rely solely on the affidavits 
it is noteworthy that on the same date as the execution of the will, the witnesses attested to all terms set forth by the statute, including that Miss So-and-so appeared to be of sane mind and 18 years of age or older. So what Judge Lanfear is saying here, he's saying the standard is that when you sign that document, it's at the time you sign the document that you are of sound mind and over the age of 18 years. So you could have intermittent, and Jacqueline, maybe I'm misreading this, but you could be intermittently not having the capacity to make decisions. But at the time you sign the will, as long as the witnesses said, yes, at that moment you were lucid, then that is a valid will. Is that how we're reading it? That is correct and has been the standard, I think. Okay. So, well, Judge Lanfear said that's the standard. So there you go. So the reality becomes, it sounds like it's very difficult to contest a will if it's done properly, which means you use an attorney who knows what they're doing and that they can attest that somebody is of sound mind at the time they signed it. So what's the opposite side? In other words, how do you disprove that? How do you disprove it? Well, you, you look at medical records. Maybe you hire an expert witness who would come to court and testify in court that this particular individual did not understand because of their medical history. They could not have had that capacity. Now I'll tell you, many times I tell clients this, if you really wanna contest this will, we need to have a medical expert witness come to court who will be a person who will actually say that based on the medical records, mom did not have the capacity to sign that will. It costs a lot of money. So what happens is folks try to make these appeals and raise these arguments, but unless you have evidence to the contrary, most likely, and based on Judge Lanfear's decision, that at the time of execution, they were of sound mind and 18 years of age, that's it, that will is done. So, you know, again, and Judge Lanfear says, down here, uh, Jacqueline, she, he says here. She acted so that her wishes would be clear as to how she desired her property distributed when she passed. There is no claim or evidence here to support that Miss So-and-so was subject to undue influence and little evidence to suggest that she lacked capacity. Right, so you see what Judge Lanfear is saying there. He's saying, look, where's, where's the beef, right? Remember the lady from Wendy's, where's the beef? And, um, and they didn't establish enough on the record to show that there was this issue. And that's the problem. So you can appeal these things, but when you're talking to a seasoned attorney like myself with 26 years experience, I'm gonna tell you, this is what it takes to be successful on that type of appeal. And if it's worth it to you, this is what we have to do to accomplish a goal. And that's why a lot of times we have hard conversations with clients about these issues. So that way they understand what the positives and negatives of the, of the path that they're going to take. So basically in any case, 
where there's a question requiring a medical opinion or a question requiring an accident reconstruction or a question requiring some sort of interpretation like an engineering interpretation or something along those lines or building interpretation. You need to have an expert witness. That's your evidence, not just what somebody witnessed or somebody said or somebody thought they overheard. That's never gonna be enough to overcome the requirement if you want to appeal a probate case based on undue influence or lack of testamentary capacity. Now, my name's attorney, Steve Lavecchio, host of Legal Tips on WPRO. Uh, we do have George from Warwick. George, if you could just stay on the line. Tiffany says we do have to go to another break and um, we're happy to take your call after the break. So please stay on the line. We'll get your question answered. Again, my name is attorney Stephen Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRL. It's Rhode Island, Mass, Connecticut, wherever you're listening on a podcast, this is your chance to call in. We'll be back in just a minute. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my father, John Glover. <laughs> you know, we watch talk film and most of these episodes I never saw. I didn't watch the show. You never once saw yourself on Smallville. In the beginning, I used to look at myself all the time and love to. And then as I get older, I stopped. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe because I'm older. <laughs> I was going to talk to you about that because you're 79. Yeah. How old do you feel? 11. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. All righty, we're back. This is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO, answering your questions, giving out advice. We have George on the line. Hi, George. You're on the um, phone with Stephen and Jacqueline. How can we help you today, George? Hey, how are you? How are you, uh, uh, Jacqueline, Stephen, Stephen, Jacqueline? Um, first, I want to say I am tickled to death, so happy for your daughter that she's accomplished the feat of what she's done. She, you're calling her an attorney. She's a professional attorney. When your dad's a very successful lawyer and you're trying to follow in the footsteps and you actually accomplish that goal, you are standing on a mountain, very tall, rugged by yourself. And I want to say one of the first to say congratulations and hope you have tremendous success. I got plenty of work because I do work in Connecticut, Rhode Island, and in Mass. So I'm glad you're plugged right in. Thank you so much, George. That really means a lot. Yeah. Uh, my question is, um, does your house have to be paid for to put it in a trust? I'm going to put my house in a trust. I'm going to leave it to my one of my children. And I really don't want her to know about it because cause kids get all rambunctious when they think they're going to get something. But does the house have to be paid for? Or I might owe three years. Do I pay it off? Do I not pay it off? Can I get it in a trust without paying it off? Yeah, absolutely, Judge. So there's no requirement that your house be paid off to utilize a trust. Now, one of the things that I do talk about with my clients when we meet and we, we talk about these issues, especially if you're really close to paying off your mortgage, depending on the type that type of trust that you're going to use. So, for example, if you're thinking about using a revocable or living trust, which means that you can make changes to it at any point in time, that you keep complete control until you're no longer here. That type of trust, you, you generally there's no requirement that you uh, do anything with your mortgage. If you're thinking about using an irrevocable trust or what's called a Medicaid trust, which means that you're setting it up like uh, I call it Ronco. Remember Ronco had to set it and forget it. You're setting it up. I got it in my house right now. I have that same rotisserie. <laughs> 
Yeah, everybody loves that rotisserie and the set it. We love it. it. And set it and forget so it. What happens is if you make it the five year look back, so you 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 survive five years before you need a nursing home, that that house would then be protected. But see, in that situation, it's different because it's irrevocable. Sometimes if you were looking, maybe you wanted to get a home equity line of credit in the future, or maybe you wanted to do something in the future, like um, remortgage your home. Most likely the bank will require you to take it out of the irrevocable trust, refinance or remortgage and put it back in. So what I tell a lot of folks is, if you're doing a revocable trust, there isn't much to worry about because you can make changes at any time. If you're going to do an irrevocable trust, I'll generally tell my clients to get a home equity line of credit, maybe for 100, maybe for 150, and they make you put $500 on it. Whether or not you use it or don't use it, it's your choice. They're generally open for 15 years, which means you can draw on it for the next 15 years. And then that way you don't need to worry about, you know, if you need to take equity out of your house and then put it into an irrevocable trust. So it kind of depends on your situation. You know, if, if you're in a situation where you own multiple properties and you have a lot of activity going on, George, using a revocable trust might be the way to go, or maybe taking a 50-50 approach. But you know, ordinarily, it depends on your age. It depends on what your goals are as well. So for you, using a revocable trust may be the best option because then you can keep control. You can mortgage, unmortgage your home. You can make changes to the trust in the future should you decide that maybe you want your son to get a different property instead of that one. And no one has to know about it. It's a private instrument between yourself and your trust. And that's all that there is to it. No one knows, no one's entitled to a copy of it before you die. And um, no one really knows, except there is a deed recorded in town hall that tells town hall that your property is now in trust. Does that help George? That's wonderful. Yes, it does. You really spelled it out well. Well, you're going to be the one to do it, so I'm glad I'm talking to you okay. and your daughter because <laughs> you're going to be the one to do it. So I, I know, I know, I know who's going to win this football game. It's you and me. So I'm happy yeah. for that. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you so George. much for everything. You're you wonderful. Soon. All right, my friend. And good luck to you. Have and good, a good luck day. to you, uh, Jessica. Thank you very much for the kind words. That was very nice of you. I, I appreciate it. I know she appreciates it too. Put a big smile on her face today as she's finally sitting in for the show since she is an attorney now. Not that she's sitting in, I'm here, but overseeing everything. Uh -huh. but, but she is sitting in answering questions as I ask her questions. You know, we get a lot of trust, a lot of probate, a lot of a lot of that type of work, a lot of appeal work, appeal to the Superior Court, appeal to the Supreme Court. We do a lot of zoning work. We also do some bankruptcy work. Now, a lot of times folks, um, unfortunately, especially with the way uh, interest rates have gone in, in the late, uh, most recently, it's been very scary for folks um, who have a lot of credit card debt or maybe are falling behind on their 
um, mortgages. You know, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate circumstance that a lot of people racked up so much credit card debt. And we've seen a little bit of uptick. You know, my background when I graduated URI in 92 was from a, an accounting degree. And so that's why real estate transactional work, zoning work, appellate work, uh, bankruptcy work as well has always been a part of my practice because I am in tune with finances and helping people get back on track. And, you know, many times people will say, well, what can I discharge? And is a discharge taxable? So basically, if you go through bankruptcy, you think about it as a large um, tax return that you're filing. And whatever you list as a debt is subject to basically a discharge, which means that it's non-taxable. You don't, no one's paying it back, but also that the creditor can't collect from you in the future. And so Jacqueline, um, are credit cards dischargeable? Yes, they are. Are medical bills dischargeable? Yes, they are. What about payday loans? That too. Okay. What about if you owe a lot of money on a car and you don't want to make payments on it anymore? If you want to keep the car, then I would say no. Okay. Well, I said you don't want to make payments on oh, it anymore. You don't want to make payments on it anymore, then yeah. And what happens to the car? It will get taken. By the bank, right? Mm-hmm. Just like a mortgage, right? Yes, just like a mortgage. Okay. So, you know, the reality is that when you have um, a, a asset with a security interest in it, like a mortgage or they hold the title, then you either make the payments and keep it, right? Mm -hmm. Or you don't make the payments and what? Lose it. Okay. But all those other things go away anyway, right? Yes, they do. Okay. So there's two different types of bankruptcy. There's what's called chapter seven bankruptcy, which is the one where you kind of wipe the slate clean. And there's a chapter 13 where you reorganize your debt. And a lot of time that's used to reorganize um, um, if you're behind on your mortgage or it's used to reorganize tax debt or it's used to get caught up in different areas to help make help you get through a difficult time. It's just a part of our practice and I've seen an uptick in it lately. And it, you know, if you know you, if you, if you know somebody out there struggling with that, of course they can always give us a call, and we'll we'll point them in the right direction and and guide them through that process with uh, you know twenty six years experience. You know, it's it, it's very interesting how one area of the law can touch another area of the law, and I see this a lot with, um, for example, real estate and divorce or real estate in probate seems like one of the biggest things we deal with huh Jacqueline isn't dealing with real estate and getting a closing done for a client when we're in the middle of a probate right yeah it happens all the time okay and so sometimes you have to go to court to ask for permission to actually sell the property right all right so what is the two different types of probate what's it called if we die with a will <laughs> I know it. That's called testate. <laughs> yes, yes. Hopefully, you don't go before Judge Martinelli, uh, the Providence probate judge, and he asks you this question. Little stage right there. Yes. So there's testate and intestate. 
And one means you died with a will and one means you died without. And in some cases, when you die without a will, you need to get court permission to actually sell property. And also with guardianship, you also need to get court permission. And that's a whole process that can take another 60 days. So if I didn't know all of that, when I see a purchase and sales agreement come to my desk and it's got to do with somebody who passed away without a will, but they owned real estate, the one thing I say is put in the contract subject to probate court approval. Because if we can't get probate court approval, we're not going to be able to sell the property. And so that's, you know, that's a very important one little thing that is so important. Now, on the real estate side of it, sometimes real estate closings can go awry. And so what do I mean by that? I mean, well, maybe the buyer lost their job or maybe the seller can't find a place to go. And what can you do? What happens? And, you know, so let's say you're selling your home. And while you're selling your home, while you're selling your home, the buyer wants to back out. Do you have any rights? And, well, I, you know, what would be a couple of rights you would have against the buyer, Jacqueline, to make them perform on the contract what what could that be might be called specific performance specific performance okay and that what type of action is that is that a equitable action that is an equitable action okay and so yes you can actually go to court to ask a court to make a buyer specifically perform does the buyer have the same right against the seller Yes, I believe so, because every piece of real estate is considered to be specific in the eyes of the court. It's unique. It can't be subbed out for anything else. So when there's a dispute over real estate, you have the option to ask that the other party specifically perform, that they go through with the sale of the real estate, because that piece of real estate is unique. Okay, right. So you can't substitute one for another. In other words, monetary damages might not be enough. And so that's an option also. So, you know, so, you know these issues come up on a regular basis. And you know, whether we're talking about how one piece of real estate t- touches another or one piece, is, one piece of law touches another, whether it's probate and trust and how that relates to real estate or how really real estate relates to um, relates to um, um, divorce law. You have to understand this stuff and you get that by experience. You know, 26 years of litigating cases, trials, 15, 16 jury trials, non-jury trials, trials in family court, cross-examining expert witnesses, presenting expert witnesses, and all of that comes with, um, teaches you a lot. And it teaches your attorney a good understanding of the round, how how the law works, and how your case 
would be handled. So my name is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips. We're heading into our last break. This is attorney Steve Levake, your host of Legal Tips on WPRO. And um, when we come back, we'll be going right up to the top of the show. We'll be back in just a Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Crisis aired March 3rd, 2004. Director Kenneth Biller. He was a weird guy. He was talented and I liked him, but he was, he was a weird fella. The production loved him. The cast, mm, Ken, if you're out there, uh, I'm sure we get along. A lot of these people, I don't want to call them pawns, but in a TV production, even directors are a lot of times pawns. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. All righty, we're back. This is attorney Steve LeVake with attorney Jacqueline LeVake on the air, answering your questions, giving out advice today, and having some fun today. And we do have callers on the line. We have David from Middletown who's on the phone with a probate question. Good morning, David. How can I help you today? Good morning, Stephen. Um, yeah, a friend of the family died 16 months ago. We know that she left stuff to our uh, children. She was her godmother, heavily involved in their lives. And we are unable to get any information out of the executor of the uh, will. How do we force that? Oh, where did she pass away? Uh, here in Rhode Island. Oh, okay, all right. So one of the Down so in did it actually did did you ever receive notice that there was a probate from an attorney or a letter or something? <clears throat> yeah, we got we got a notice that there was a probate. It was from uh, the executor of the estate, not not a not an attorney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, um, did you ever? Because this happened what a year and a half ago. Did you? Did you ever inquire at that time to see the to to know what was left to your children, or if um, if there was a will that left My, something to your children? Yeah, well, we know that there was a will, but we we're unable to get access to it. Uh, my wife has attempted many times to get information, and the person just doesn't respond. Oh, okay. Well, I will tell you this: that we can get if a probate was filed and um there's a probate case number we can get access to that probate now when you file a probate initially within the first 90 days a document gets filed with the probate and what's it called jacqueline an an inventory of the estate okay so an inventory of the estate gets filed it has to be signed by the person who's executor and that basically tells everybody this is what's in the estate now if this estate's been open this amount of time and you haven't received any other notices first of all you would be entitled to a copy of the inventory you're entitled to a copy of the will and we can see and evaluate what's in the estate and what's available to um to your children if anything at all now if the estate's been open this whole time david and not, no activity has occurred but the will says that your children are entitled to something we can ask the court for a special hearing for an accounting which means that we go to court and we ask the court to say where is the money now because it's been a year and a half one of the things that might have happened is maybe they went ahead and maybe they what's that Jacqueline close the estate well possibly they closed the estate without ever giving you notice in which case 
we may have to go to reopen the estate to get this information for you. Now, sometimes, David, when we go through this type of process, unfortunately, find out that there was very little in the estate. And that's because maybe somebody named a beneficiary on a bank account, or maybe they had a trust already in place. So that means there wasn't a lot of assets to probate. That's always a risk. But of course, sometimes, sometimes we find out that there was money left and that maybe the executor misapplied the money or misused the money in a different way. And then we have to go back to the probate court and ask for relief or for sanctions or for a judgment. So it can be found out. That information can be found out. And it, and it can be discovered so that you know what's available, what was or wasn't available for the benefit of your children. But like I said, somebody okay. could have a will, David, and they could have a will that says, I leave everything to Jacqueline. But if I went and I named beneficiaries on all my bank accounts and put my house in trust, then everything goes to whoever I, I name as a beneficiary and put on the trust. It never gets to probate court to get to Jacqueline. So we, you know, gotcha. you just don't know. You just don't know. One of the things I also see sometimes is last minute powers of attorney changing beneficiary designations. So that way the money goes to not to your kids. But, you know, it's very difficult to unwind or put the toothpaste back in the tube at that point. But you are entitled to it and you can <laughs> right. find out. Okay. So, I will have my wife uh, get one, in touch one with last you. Question. Yeah, one last question, David. Had you had you ever reached out to any attorney to see if you know no, what you what your no. legal rights were? Okay. No, she has I, not. You know, that's fairly common, you know. A lot of times, people don't, you know, you don't interact with lawyers. You know, you only go see a doctor once a year, maybe for your physical. You go see a dentist twice a right. year, you know. So it's not, <laughs> it's not something that you do on a regular basis. <laughs> But um, right, right. I'm happy you give me a call. I'll do what I can. All right. Thank you very much, Stephen. You always help me out. Appreciate it. You got it, David. Anytime, anytime. All righty. So Tiffany says we're wrapping up today. Now we got two minutes left. So the way I started practicing law, my boss <laughs> would give me large files and say, go argue this. And then I go to court. And I get yelled at for about three or four hours. And then I go to court and I get yelled at maybe the next time only for two or three hours. Then I go to court and I get yelled at maybe for an hour until I learn what to do. So fortunately, they do have uh, things now in place where they have these called litigation academies. And Jacqueline was fortunate enough to go to a litigation academy to learn a little bit about direct and cross-examination. What'd you think of it, Jacqueline? Uh, everyone was very kind and very friendly. Uh, everyone answered all my questions. I didn't feel like I stuck out too, too much. Uh, although I clearly was one of the least experienced attorneys on deck. Uh, but everyone was very kind and I really did appreciate it. Susie Schuster and Amy Trask present offbeat conversations and expert sports commentary as they ask... What the football? Carson Wentz got signed by the Rams. I sat in those league owners meetings for almost 30 years, and the trade deadline was a hot topic. Push the trade deadline back so that teams that are in contention still have an opportunity to sign people. And there were other owners who said, no, we don't want players rented, and we don't want fire sales. They had to make an addition, and they chose what they thought was best. I'm just not wowed by him. What the football? The podcast is available Tuesdays, wherever you listen.